0: One of my homes that I rehabbed, it would have rented for $2,100 as the whole house. But we put eight tenants in it and it grosses $6,300. So just the number, that's a three times what I could have normally got.
1: Choose to do what you want, what you want, with who you want, with who you want, when you want, when you want, with another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. What's up, everyone? And welcome back to another episode of the Action Academy podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brian Lubin, coming to you with the mindsets, the methods, and the actionable steps for you to earn freedom in that life and business, baby. I'm going to start timestamping all the locations that I announced because it's just confusing. But today is Tuesday, September 6th. I'm recording this intro live as we're about to post this episode. And we are finishing up our last couple of days in Amsterdam. So Amsterdam has been freaking amazing. If you are traveling, though, avoid the airport like the plague. There is no reason that you want to go to the Amsterdam airport. You're going to be in line for five hours outside. Don't do it. Just take the train station in and out, and you'll be fine. But after this, going to Belgium, then Budapest, Hungary, and Portugal. So it's gonna be a cool next couple of weeks, and you're gonna hear a lot from me. Anyways, today's show is going to be freaking amazing, and it is very unique. My show guest today is none other than my buddy Sam Wegert. Sam has found a very cool niche inside of real estate investing, which is the co-living space. So instead of doing Airbnb, instead of doing multifamily, what he does is he buys single family homes and he creates almost like a Frankenstein's monster where he takes contractors and goes inside these homes and builds additional bedrooms and bathrooms. So it's almost like dorm style. For people to actually be able to afford a livable place within densely populated urban areas. So, if you go into a major city, instead of having to pay $3,000 a month for rent, you can rent a bedroom and live in that bedroom for $650, $700. So, this is his take on solving the housing crisis for America. On the landlord side as well, you're providing a benefit to the tenant and you're also getting an insane amount of cash flow. So, think three, four, five X, which you would normally get for a traditional rental unit. So that's what we're talking about today. We talk about how Sam has acquired these properties, the specific steps he uses with his contractor to renovate them, and what he rents them out for his entire process at about the minute 15 minute 20 mark. Before that, we talk about how Sam actually got started in business by buying a karate studio at 15 years old. So for the first 10 to 15 minutes of this episode, we're talking about martial arts studios and how he got started. So while that may not apply specifically to you, please stick through the episode because it will teach you a lot of business lessons and really good lessons on entrepreneurship before we get into the co-living. And then after that, we get into the numbers, the data, and pure, unadulterated goodness. As always, if you're liking this content, top right corner, hit the subscribe button. I want to see all of you following on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening to this. Five-star rating and review if you feel so kind. And without any further ado, Mr. Sam Wegger. Sam, what's going on, buddy?
0: <laughs> How's it going, Brian? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's going good, man. We're both, uh, we're both traveling fiends over here, man. Talk to us a little bit about what you and uh, your wife are doing. You're doing the van traveling van life.
0: Yeah, man, this is going to be fun. I want to just express gratitude for you inviting me on first because, uh, uh, I see your stuff and it's so fun to follow your social media. And we were just chatting earlier about how we consider each other great friends. And yet we like, no, we, we have like a social media relationship. I feel like so
1: we've hung out a couple of times, but yeah, like we haven't right. gone like into yeah. a deep conversation. It's like no. every time we
0: see each other, we're just like, like, Hey buddy,
1: what's up, man? Exactly. I haven't seen you in so, long.
0: Exactly. so this will be fun, dude. This will be fun. <laughs> yeah, man. So I, my wife and I decided to live out of a van. It was interesting. We, my wife and I have, a, have achieved the traditional version, if you will, Uh, of success in a bunch of ways and, uh, and and house, the car that everything you would think that you would want. And then I think we just got to a place where we were like, do we need this? We really need this, but we wanted to test it in real life. And our test in real life to see how much we actually need in life is to go from 4,800 square feet on the lake to 98 square feet in a camper van that where recently the AC works like 50% of the time. There you go. That's that's the plan.
1: It's only fun if the AC is just completely out. That's the only That's the only way it's fun.
0: The crazy thing is like a brand new freaking RV, like like a camper van, brand spanking new. I don't know what's going on with it. But anyway, everybody tells us that camper vans have problems and they have some issues. So we'll see.
1: So how long are y'all doing this for?
0: Dude, the the plan the plan currently is uh, three months, and there have been several threats of it being a lot shorter than that in the first couple of weeks. <laughs> like my wife, two weeks into it, was like, "Sam, I want to talk to you about the van life," and I'm like, "Oh shit, I know what's coming." She's gonna, <laughs> and sure enough, she's. I don't know. Like maybe the truth is, her and I both have had points where we're like, we don't know if we want to do this because, dude, like you're with my counselor. Told me the other day, she's. I don't know of any other couples that could do what you're doing. Like I counsel couples on like having better relationships. (laughs) I don't know. Like the fact that you two are spending that much, because here's the truth, Brian. If you want to go somewhere, I don't have another car. Like we're not towing another car. So I have to either Uber or like just take my bike off the back and ride my bike. So it's been fun, man. I think a couple, we've learned to give each other a lot more grace. We're reading this book right now called love and respect. And it talks about how women who are feminine in their core really desire love. Like that's a big piece of what they desire. Not that they don't desire respect too. Like they, they have a craving, maybe more of a, a craving that's in line with their nature. And then guys like women don't care. We get like yeah. the lovey doveyness. We want people to like respect who we are and respect what we've done. And like that, they're the man, like they, he's the man, he's done some and, uh, achievement. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're learning to give each other what each other needs. And that's been a big journey for us, man. But it's, yeah, that's a high level view of what we're doing. <laughs> I could keep going, but.
1: <laughs> no, let's hit on that for a second, because I think that's super interesting because we're doing the same and you're going yeah. from uh you know, where you're both working. So we both were like living together for a year when we came out here. So right. for people that are listening that are brand new, we're traveling around the world right now. And it's me and my girlfriend and we left my house and now it's hotel rooms and condos right. and apartments <laughs> and we don't have a car at all. My yeah. car is back home in America being turrored full-time by a buddy. It is different. And then guess what we found yeah. out immediately is that she's a morning person and I'm fine with working afternoons and evening. Right. So... We have a time difference. I was trying to Didn't explain you, to her. I said, like, Hey, no one's working, and no one's awake in the morning in America. <laughs> but she wants to work in the morning, and then in the afternoon, she wants to do stuff. And then I want to work in the afternoon, and in the morning, I want to do stuff. I was like, right. Okay, cool. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get rocking and rolling. And so, man, yeah, they say if you really want to test your relationship and see if you're going to make it, yeah. go travel with them one on one
0: for a right. while. Right. Yeah, I yeah, mean it's it's it, and it's funny. It's funny you just said what you said because you also said you're doing this. It's 11 p.m. your time, right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> here you are. You're working your afternoons and evenings, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, my wife
0: and I, my wife and of are the it, opposite. Man, man. She's, she's I'm the morning person. She can sleep until noon and have a great time doing it, and stay up until one, two, three a.m. And I'm just like, I gotta get to bed at ten thirty. Like that
1: was me too. But when I made this move, part of the things that come with it is, is choose your hard, right? And for me, choosing my hard was being like, hey, this time zone difference is going to be, it's going to be going to suck. Yeah. That's worth it for me to push through that and to alter my lifestyle slightly. But, anyways, yeah, brother, so crazy. I want to talk to you. I want to start with the van life because you and I are both forcing Nomads. discomfort. <laughs> yeah. Forcing discomfort yeah. into our lives. So let's back it up a little bit. You said that you had achieved a certain level of success already financially, you had the house, you had the cars. Walk us through for people listening who you are and how you got there so we can dissect it bit by bit.
0: Yeah, man, there's so much to the story that I could tell, but I'll give a high level view of my story. I was homeschooled in a small town in Virginia. I'm one of eight kids. That's my parents decided to have a big family. My mom homeschooled us all. My dad worked for a local university called Liberty University, which is one of the largest evangelical like Christian schools in America, even actually in the world right now, right outside of a town called Lynchburg, Virginia. And yeah, I had an opportunity. Being homeschooled, I and being homeschooled and in a big family, you can I realized early on. And like, if I want to be, if I want to get noticed for anything, like I need to do something successful. Like I need to stand out. And my way of standing out was to make money and and to do business. And so my, I had a lot of energy. I had undiagnosed ADHD, ADD. And my mom put me in martial arts when I was probably 13 years old. I'm so grateful. Her, by the way, for doing that. Shout out to all the moms who just make decisions for their kids, man, and get them involved in stuff because martial arts, and especially the ones that get involved in martial arts for me, was huge. It helped me have more self confidence and discipline and gave me more focus and really gave me confidence, truthfully, to be who I am and be a little bit different. And martial arts isn't, it's a really individual sport. Like you progress at your own rate. When I was 15, my instructor came to me and said, Sam, I'm burnt out. I'm done. I want to go fish professionally on the bass he had this dream of fishing, bass fishing professional. Like, why not? So he sold me the school for $15,000 when I was 15 years old. And really Wait, what? Had to convince. Yeah, dude, it was crazy. He had to convince my mom and my dad. He like took, I'll never forget. Like he took them to Texas Roadhouse. He took them to steak dinner. And I was a student of his at the time. And he was like, Sam's great. Sam can run this whole school. I'm going to hire him a coach, but I want to sell you the school. <laughs> and, uh, and so we did. And uh, man, I just, I spiked my hair. So I looked older because I was 15 like, running a school and my parents were like supposed to be there, but they weren't there. Like I was there sometimes all by myself running a school of, it wasn't a huge school, but I had a hundred members, a hundred students at the time. But that put me on a path of entrepreneurship, man. And I just started making money and I started saving money a lot. My parents were really big into thinking that Y2K was going to happen. So they taught me to buy silver, gold, and gold. they just basically, they taught me to save. And so I just I built a small martial arts organization when I was 20 years old. I moved to a bigger town, opened up another school and started it just from nothing. Started it in a little like 20 by 20, 20 feet by 20 feet hotel conference room and would go out in the street corner and all day would just be like handing out my cards. Hey, you want to come take a free martial arts class? And we're offering a free 30 day membership. After class. And I did that on the daily. <clears throat> and so by the time I got to the, by the time I built up that school, I put my brother in charge and I. Literally was journaling, like, I've retired. I, I don't have to work because I was making money. I was making like 40 grand a year, but my brother was running this, running the school, and I didn't have to show up. It was pretty cool. And for me, that was a lot of money at the time. 40 grand a year is a lot of money. I could
1: that's money pass, so that's damn, passive. That's totally passive, right? You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was what we call in go abundance, right? We called it being a hundred percenter, right? I, mm-hmm. was, I had no debt. I had no debt. I, I bought this little three bedroom, three bath condo with some money that I had saved. And so I was living in one room and renting out the other two rooms. And like, I was making money. It was good. It was cool. And yeah, man, it was a good, it was a good gig. And long story short, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live now. I opened up five other locations there. I bought two and opened up three more. Had a lot of bumps in the road along the way. And now we run an organization where we have six brick and mortar martial arts schools. And they're largely passive to a large extent, but I still stay involved and support and coach the staff to some extent. And then just invested in real estate along the way. And, uh, but martial arts was a huge piece of who I was, man. And martial arts taught me to empty my cup and to always be humble and to always learn, it taught me a lot about respect. And we were talking about respect earlier, but in a different sense of just like respecting myself and respecting others. Yes, sir. No, sir. And all the, just all the hard work to achieve belts. So martial arts, you have all these belt ranks you get up to. I'm a fifth degree black belt right now. So I've been training the martial arts since I was, I'm 31 now. So I've been training the martial arts since I was probably 12, 12, 13 was when my mom first got me started. So, you know, a bunch of years. So it's funny because I forget sometimes that I'm a martial artist. I'm like, I just think everybody has that skill. And not everybody does. Dude,
1: what? <laughs> so I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious. Let's go back to like 15-year-old Sam real quick. What did this guy see in you to say, oh, well, obviously this 15-year-old kid can take over my business and I'm going to sell him the business?
0: Man, I think it's funny you asked that. Part of me just thinks he was really wanted out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know well, I yeah. Mean, I mean, like, yeah. You have to want really one out to sell it to a fifteen-year-old. Yes, Sam. Fair, but that's still Fair ridiculous. Enough. So you're, I'm so obviously, I'm assuming your parents like fronted the money,
0: and yeah, then they loaned me the money.
1: Yeah, they loaned me. <laughs> My you the parents money. were not long,
0: wealthy. Yeah, how
1: long did it take for them? How long did it take for you to pay them back? What was the cash flow like on Dude, that?
0: I, I was grossing, I was grossing in this little martial arts school like twelve to fifteen grand a month, which is not a lot for martial arts schools. That's a very that's our schools now grows 40 to 60 grand a month. Sure. But for that little tiny town, I was grossing 12 to 15 grand a month. And I, my bills were probably six, five, maybe. Rent was three, other little bills too. So I'm 15. I'm <laughs> making like five, six grand a month. I paid them back pretty fast. I think I paid them back in four months.
1: So you're running like a 50% like, profit margin.
0: Yeah. At 15. It, 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 Yeah. And that was, that's like with no, and I was the only really real worker there. So technically that didn't include my, if you included me getting paid like a salary.
1: salary. Yeah.
0: The, then the, the profit market would have been left, but you've just taken it all home. Yeah. But I remember, man, when some, somebody came in one time and they were like, "Hey, I'd like to buy a helmet. Like martial arts, you wear these like protective helmets." He's like, "I want to buy a helmet with a face shield." And I'm like, "Cool." I would like look up the price sheet and it was like eighty bucks. And I was like, "It's eighty bucks." So he whips out his wallet and he pays me in cash. And at that time, I like wasn't <laughs> I wasn't depositing cash, right? Like just old school is like, put the cash in your pocket, don't pay taxes on it. And so I did. I like took the eighty bucks, I put it in my pocket, and I uh, read in this receipt, and I was like. Oh, this is what it feels like to be an entrepreneur. Because eighty dollars, I would have had to work like eight hours for that. Rest. So just and man, like that shaped my mindset. Like even now, I obsess about what I can build. Like what businesses can I build that can produce cash flow? That's a big piece of what's next for me. I think you were talking about you taking this time to figure out what's next for you. I'm in. The, I'm in the same season with the van life. Right, we're putting pause. We're selling some assets. I'm actually selling some of my short schools right now. I'm selling six houses, and so I'm just in this process of wait, what's next? And building mm-hmm. keeps. Coming up, for me. building cash flowing businesses and assets keeps coming up for me.
1: So. so, we'll get into the real estate here in a second because I, I know a, a bit about the real estate, but an observation yeah. I've had of you, dude. So, yeah, obviously you're super ADD. <laughs> yeah, of course you are. Yeah, and I am too, which is why for some reason, I don't know if this is like this for you, maybe this is a good question, but whenever I feel like I'm doing these shows, like this is my flow state
0: whenever mm, yeah. i do these
1: shows it's probably how you feel For when sure. you're doing martial arts oh my gosh because this, have, yeah yeah this is what makes my brain like flow and operate at the exact frequency that it does but anyways a, a, an observation yeah. i had about you when i first met you was you are very focused whenever you are talking to people like mm. ironically So I find it ironic that you're such a high energy dude and you're so scattered, like with everything you're like, ah, but then whenever you meet you, if you are talking to someone, you are pure eye contact. Like you aren't looking left, right, up and down. And it's just, you are so zoned in on people whenever you meet them that it's, it's memorable. You're like, I'm like, Whoa, my God. Like this dude was just like listening to me. (laughs) So I'm, I'm curious. Like, is that been how? It, like, is that how you've always been, or is that something that you gained from martial arts? Because that's a noticeable thing that you have.
0: Yeah, man. I I really appreciate you saying that, and that feels good. I, martial arts definitely has honed that, and I would say even more than martial arts training, like martial arts business, because in martial arts business, if you are not attentive to your students' needs, they don't pay you, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, We don't sell a widget. Like we don't sell a widget. We don't sell something you can test. Like we sell a feeling. Like literally, that is what we sell. We sell a feeling. Like you, if your kid comes to class and they love class, when they leave and they think they got a little bit better, then they're going to come back to class. They're going to continue. And so that was livelihood. Literally rested on my ability to make people feel a certain way. Yeah. So that's just ingrained. And as a 15 year old, I probably truthfully overreacted to that. Like I was overly attentive to people to the point to where now in my adult life, like I'm doing a coaching course right now, teach people about real estate and my business partner regularly is like Sam. You are not responsible for people's results. They are. You're responsible to give them good information. And like, he's having to coach me. on pulling back from that. And I'm like, no, like it didn't happen for them. And I feel responsible. He's like, well, oh, there's a difference You're the coach. They're the action thing. I probably over overcompensated somewhat, but I do enjoy a lot of presence with people. And I enjoy people too. I get worn out. Like I'm an introvert for sure. But like, really? I get worn out. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I recharge, man. I need to go into the woods and recharge. But I, I enjoy being super present with people. And I, I think people really... Thanks for saying that because I think that people really enjoy that. I think it's a lesson that I think a lot of people would do better to like, you can learn a lot about people. You know, this, right? Like you get off on asking people questions. Mm -hmm. I feel like getting to know people, you're a very people person.
1: So you are a 15 year old kid who for the next 16 years, essentially is building up these karate studios and these martial arts studios. And now By the time you start investing in real estate, what does your first purchase look like? And then how do you get into the realm of co-living? Because I want to get into co-living here in the entire back half of the show, because that's something that's so important to what we're heading towards in the real estate market and in the economy. Co-living is going to be more important than ever. So I think we need to first touch, how did you get into real estate? And then how did you transition?
0: Yeah, it's a good... Uh, my first, so I've regularly thought back to how I first was inspired to buy my first property. And I honestly don't remember. I think it was Rich Dad Poor Dad. Like I read that book by Robert Kiss. And I think that just inspired me. And then I had some mentors and it was always on. Un- so I want, let me rewind a little bit. When that guy sold the school to my parents, really to me, uh, and I paid my parents back, when he sold it, when Master Clements was his name, when he sold it, he hired me a coach. And I didn't know. The value of coaches, because it was just like it was hired for me. But the truth is, man, like I, I just realized that like I would not be getting to the places I was, I would get to if I didn't have someone really guiding me and helping me along the way. And so I had coaches and mentors along the way, specifically in the martial arts space. And he was a martial arts business coach, Master Arthur was his name. And I think he he encouraged me to invest, right, to save and invest. And uh, so I bought this little foreclosure condo. It was sixty seven thousand dollars, believe it or not, dude. I saved up $67,000. I was probably 17, 18 at the time. Wow. So I I bought it on my own. So it would have had to been at least 18, 18, 19. I think I bought it in 2010. I don't know. The the dates. Anyway, it was, was 18, 19 at the time and it was a foreclosure and it looked crazy. And I actually went and looked at it with an agent and walked out. It was nasty. There was crap piled up to the ceilings. <clears throat> and I remember telling the agent, like, I would never buy that property. Anyway, it it came up for sale again two months later. And I went and I was like, wait, haven't we looked at this before? And she was like, yeah, I think we looked at this one before. But someone had cleaned it out a little bit. So we ended up buying it. $67,000. And it was a three-bedroom, three-bath in the town of Charlottesville, Virginia, right outside of University, Virginia. So it was set up for college housing. So I lived in one room. Each room had its own bath. I lived in one room. and I rented out the other two for 600 bucks a month. And I lived for free and I had saved up, I bought a cash and it was, uh, that was my first purchase, man. And that was what even got me started on this concept. Like before I even knew it, of I can rent out rooms and I can double or triple the amount of income that I can make from renting it out as a single family home. That's in essence, that let, that got me to start on that path. Now I didn't have that realization yet, but I was at least started on that path.
1: Yeah, um, man, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's so cool whenever you see people. So here's what I keep going back to over and over again. I keep seeing repeating patterns and I keep seeing trends in these interviews and these guests. And what I'm seeing is that, yes, you have like wonder kids, right? You'll have one or two, like one or 2% of people are like a wonder kid, like a Will Brown. He came on the show. Dude's just a genius at 21 years old, 22 years old. Dude's just a freaking genius. But for the most part, the dudes that you're seeing that are 25, 26, 27, 31, yeah, we're still young, but we have time horizon. Like the time horizon is never sacrificed. The time horizon is always there. It's like the difference is that the person that is a millionaire at 23 years old was buying real estate at 17. Right. Or right. 16.
0: So you, when you say I mean? time horizons, you mean they started early. Is that
1: yeah? They still put their years in. They just started earlier. So if you don't have like a 20, it's very rare that you have a 25 year old millionaire that just started buying real estate at 20. Right. You know what I mean? Like they were brought up in real estate, like, like 17, 18, they were buying some, then 19, 20, yeah. 21, 22, so that's right. very
0: interesting. So, so you so we still paid our dues. It's just, I got a good, I got a head start on a lot of people because it was like, I was homeschooled. That was a big head start. I didn't have to do. And my parents really let me focus on what I wanted to focus on, and that was business. So they were mm-hmm. like, yeah, buy this school. That was kind of like, they saw it almost as part of my education, but it allowed me to start at 15.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's crazy, cool. man.
0: So that is cool. So that's, a great, us, that's a great observation.
1: So walk us through how you went from there. Walk us through the journey to now what you're doing full-time, which is essentially co-living. And you're even selling houses, selling schools that you can focus on this full-time. So first, let's walk through this, the ideas and concepts of co-living and then how you've scaled up to this.
0: Co-living, in, in essence, is somewhat of an affordable housing. It is renting a room versus the entire house. So you're looking for a specific type of house that has 20... 200 square feet or more that you can put six, seven, eight or nine or even 10 people can share this home. So it's shared living in this sense. used to be called rooming houses, but these rooming, but these, when people think of like a rooming house or a boarding house, they think of a pretty nasty kind of beat up, like in the ghetto type house. They're not that like Like section eight. Yeah, exactly. We're, but we're buying great houses in great neighborhoods, taking care of them extremely well. We want them to look just as good, if not better, than all the other homes in the neighborhood when it comes to landscaping and lawn. And they look good. And we're cleaning the inside, we're cleaning the common areas inside and we're adding a few bedrooms. We're adding a few bathrooms. We're making it a we're taking a four-bedroom house and making it at a seven bedroom house. maybe adding a bathroom or two so that and some are shared bathrooms, some are common, some are private bathrooms. And in essence, the whole goal is really two things. Number one, from an investor standpoint, you are double, tripling, or quadrupling your return on investment, hands down. Like some Mm -hmm. of these homes, some of these homes, if I rented them as single family homes, man, they would lose money. But I'm raking in the cash because they are co-living homes. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So for people that are listening to this, so I've done this as well with my house, with my homes, with my house hacks.
0: House hacks, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I'd buy five bed, four bathroom houses. Like that's my sweet spot, 1970 split level. What, yeah, uh, what David Green work, right? would call, yeah, what David Green would call a luxury house hack, to where my uh, my top units are what I call my HGTV units, to where those are my three bed, two bath, just my trophy units. Like they look, <coughs> they look so nice, and yeah. all the people are like, oh yeah, we'll absolutely rent that for the price of a regular three bed, two bath. And then downstairs, yeah. you have an entire extra kitchen, in law suite, two bed, two bath, and I'll rent those either by the unit. By the room as well. So, have you ran into any issues with zoning with this, or is this something that you account for and make sure that it's zoned multifamily, or do you have any kind of stipulations that even arise with that?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was talking with the CEO uh, last week. I was talking with the CEO of a company called Pad Split down in Atlanta. In Atlanta, they have 4,700 rooms now. They rent all by the room, and they're a management company that that manages these homes. And I asked him that very same question. And his answer, I'm gonna I'm gonna share his answer because it's very similar to my answer. But his answer was first of all, it depends on how you take care of the homes. If you take care of these homes, you will rarely get complaints about them. If you have if you figured, if you've thought through parking, if you have vetted the tenants correctly, you're not putting you're not putting crack addicts in the home. If you're doing the right things, then you unless you just have a crazy neighbor that wants to beat up on you. But like, that's number one. Yeah, that's been my experience. Yes. So then it went, okay, what does it come to the legalities of it? The truth is you have to, each local area is going to have different zoning regulations. And those zoning regulations a lot of times involve a number of unrelated people in a single family home. The problem is, is that these laws were built and were put in place to keep out undocumented workers and prostitution houses. That was a lot of the behind the scenes of why these number of unrelated people living in a single family home were created in the first place. So they are they weren't meant, these laws were not created to regulate co-living My So my point in saying that is, yes, I've never, the only challenges I've ever had in the 12, 13 years of doing this have been with HOAs. So we stay away from all HOAs because HOAs have a lot of oh, power. Yeah. Can- in general, if you're investing in real estate, yeah. just stay away from HOAs. Exactly. But as far as the zoning, we've never had a run in specifically with zoning that has caused us to have to change anything that we're doing. And it's a it's a gray area right now, mm-hmm. is the truth. Maybe think about Airbnb before Airbnb came out. It was people were figuring out what exactly was going to be allowed and what wasn't going to be allowed. But it, it hasn't been a huge issue for us. I do look into it. And in Charlotte right now, the Mecklenburg County where Charlotte, North Carolina is, is actually coming up with some regulations to try to regulate co-living. And it's good. Like they're just basically saying, OK, we get that co-living is a piece of affordable housing. And actually, the CEO of Pat Split, his name is uh, Atticus. He, I've met him. Yeah, he's a super cool dude. And he, he, they've actually done some work with the housing development, like the federal level HUD. I think it uh, stands for Housing and Urban Development. And HUD actually wrote a document to all the local like zoning ordinances, put it out and said, everybody needs to look at co-living to solve the affordable and workforce housing issue.
1: Absolutely. So
0: it's, so my point is like, there's a lot of momentum for it being looked at very positively and I'm excited for that. And yeah, if you're, could you get into some trouble? Yes. If you're doing it incorrectly, but at the same time, pad split is fighting cases very successfully in winning those battles as well.
1: Yeah. And the only reason I ask that is because whenever I tell people that I'm house hacking and doing that, then they're like, Oh, what about the zoning? So I want to go ahead and knock right. out that before beforehand right. so that nobody can even say that. But yeah, so I do the same thing. So what you want to do is you just want to vet your tenants just like anybody else. And then exactly. also when your tenants are coming in, like you tell them 100%, you say, "Hey, here's the expectation, here's the rules." And you put them through the same criteria that you would a long-term tenant like that you would That's have right. running it out. Right. And then also from my experience personally, They're so freaking pumped and grateful to have an affordable place to live that they're not going to screw that up. That's been my experience. So walk us through for people that are listening and they're like, okay, cool, Sam, I like what you're saying. Walk us through what extra costs in like when say you're like looking at a property right now, take us through what extra costs you would be going through your head to convert one of these into a pad split type of house. And then what the extra cash flow would look like. So if you're look, if you're an investor and this is your first time hearing about this, walk them through like what the numbers look like here.
0: Yeah, the numbers can look really good in terms of the numbers to convert. You're looking at ten to twelve thousand per to add a bathroom, to add a full bathroom. At least that's what I that's what my contractor that I've used for a while can you know, I can get by, I, can, I can get by with. So if I'm looking at a, a three bed, here's one formula: fifteen hundred square feet is four bedrooms. And then every 250 square feet above that, I know from looking at thousands of floors that I can break it up into an additional bedroom, every additional 250 square feet. So if you give me a house and you're like, hey, Sam, it's a 2,000 square foot house. For me, I know already that's six bedrooms. If you're like, it's a 2,250 square foot house, I know that's seven bedrooms. I know that I can do that working my magic in that house. So, it's really going to depend, the conversion costs are just going to depend on how much, how many bedrooms you're actually trying to put in and how many bathrooms you're trying to put in. I try to have a ratio in all of our houses of two to one. So, two bedrooms to one full bathroom. I don't try, every once in a while, we have a few homes with three to one. So, three bedrooms to one full bathroom. And then obviously, there's the masters and the private bathrooms that will rent as well. Additionally. So that's, you just have to figure out how many bathrooms you want to add. That's going to be 10, 12 grand. And then the rest is pretty simple. The rest is if you're going to be, if you're going to put over six people in a house, you need to have at least two refrigerators. So that's pretty simple. You need to put walls and add some closets. So you're going to spend a few thousand in walls and doors. You're also going to put keypad locks on everything, keyless entry type stuff. So you're going to spend some money doing that. But yeah, if there were no bathrooms to add 10, 15 grand, you could probably convert a home, a seven or eight bedroom home really nicely. But more than likely, you're going to need to add those bathrooms. And that's just going to be a matter of how many you want to add. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So then talk us through what the cash flow looks like, because I'd already know what the cash flow looks like on my rentals that I do this at. So walk us through so that people can know that this is freaking worth it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is worth it. uh, The biggest piece is the management, right? You've got to figure out what your plan for management is. Are you going to self-manage? Are you going to hire someone to manage? Are you going to get one of these new up-and-coming co living companies to manage? If you can figure that piece out, then like you're golden. But in essence, what happens is you're going to rent a master here in Charlotte for probably nine to 950, 900 to 950. That includes utilities. And then you're going to rent all the other bedrooms for anywhere between 700 and $800 a month. So if I take a home, but I give this example on bigger pockets when I was on there and I'll just use the same one because it's an easy one. But like one of my, one of my homes that I rehabbed, it would have rented for $2,100 as the whole house but we put eight tenants in it and it grosses $6,300. So it's just the number that's a three times what I could have normally got. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. So walk us through some best practices when it comes to management, because you do need to handle the management different with these properties. And there are things that you need to do that are separate and you need to be proactive about because that will cause problems. So walk us through some best practices for management or or funding and management
0: yeah there's a lot of, there's a lot of companies out there that are starting to pop up and manage these so you've got bungalow you've got live homeroom you've got alcove you've got common you've got Padsflam. you got and those are nationwide companies that are really trying to expand and grow so I think those are I think that's really good if and then I also think you can just talk to a normal property manager Literally mm-hmm. just go to a normal property manager and say hey I want you to manage it because each room is like an apartment. If you think about it that way, you're like you're basically giving a property manager an eight-unit apartment building. If you think about it that way from a property management standpoint, then any property manager should be like, sure, okay, like sure. I'm just I'm renting each of these out as a, l- a little mini apartment. But if you do have to have house rules in the lease. You have to be able to evict for house rules. You have to have some. You have to have some sort of protocol where if someone's breaking house rules. And by the way, like we have a comprehensive house rules. Like you need to have no ele- no illegal activity, no no drugs, and we have a zero tolerance for drugs. No weapons on the property at time. No more than five overnight guests in one month without prior permission. Immediately upon using dishes or whatever, like you have to put it in the. Dish- you have to take care of it right away. And if people start breaking those rules, you have to be able to evict for those house rules. So that's the difference right? Filling it becomes just like filling any other house or apartment, right? You need to have enough ads out there. You need to have enough leads. You need to follow up on those leads. You need to get applications. It's the same thing. You're just doing it for a different product. And you might want to vet them a little bit more to make sure that they're not the party person that's going to come in and destroy your house. But the truth is you'd want to do that even if you were renting out as a, as a regular rental. So we use apartments.com. You can run credit charts, you can run background check you can run, you can do, do everything. All yeah. Things.
1: Rental, yeah. rental history, DUI, yeah. criminal history, all that stuff. Exactly. So yeah. for your operations account, do you add any extra padding to your operations account for extra turnover or chop? Is there extra turnover with these or are you seeing normal, like
0: years, year long yeah. leases? We're doing year long leases on all of our stuff. We used to do month by month and then three months, but we stopped doing those all together. So okay. It's a year long lease. I think we will do six months if someone needs it at a premium. We do charge a $100 move in fee. Like when someone puts their security deposit down, $100 of it is completely unrefundable. That's to just flip the room, vacuum or shampoo the carpets, wipe down the walls, whatever we got to do for that room. And then, yeah, for operations, you're going to pay for utilities, right? You're going to need to calculate that. Internet, internet, gas, water, electric. And then you're also going to pay, we also pay for cleaning. So twice a month, we pay for a cleaner to come in, clean all the, just the common area. So it's not like a full house cleaning, right? It's a common area cleaning, like living room, dining room, kitchen cleaning, just to make sure that it pops for showings and everything's looking good. So you need to pad that for your operations expenses. And then in terms of turnovers, no, like we've people stay. My longest tenant to stay probably since I started this in Charlotte, 10 years. I've got, a, wow. I've, got a 10 year, I've got a 10 year tenant just continuing to live in one of our properties. We get tenants to stay for multiple years. So I'm wow. not sure it's if you do it right, and you get good tenants, then it's the right place for them to live for sure.
1: Holy crap! Okay, so how many of these do you own right now, and then what's that cash flow
0: looking like? Yeah, we rent like once everything. We have some homes right now that we just converted that are not full, like we're still mm-hmm. in the process. But once once those are done, we'll be at 150 rooms that we rent. Wow! And yeah, man, depending on vacancy or what's available, cash flow can look anywhere close to a hundred grand a month. There you go. All right, so everyone. Co-living. Every, jump on it. Every in. little bit helps. Obviously, it's gross revenues. But
1: Yeah, of course. But so how do you... So what are your plans for scaling this? Because I know this is something that you're going to be focusing on a lot moving forward. Yeah.
0: So I just sold all of my... So I had five four-bedroom Co-living homes. And even though they stayed full, like those were they were easier to keep full because it's like just four people and they're in, they're in, and it's fine. But like now, I'm doing now I wouldn't do a home unless it was at least seven, at least six, but six, seven, eight, nine is what I think. In sharing a home is where the cash flow just starts to look crazy good. So I sold all my four bedroom homes. Where, where and I think I'm gonna, I, I'd like to build a building. I'd like to develop a building that's specifically designed for colinics, like a ground up, kind of like a, it would look like a student housing building. You know what I mean? Like it would look like student housing, a multifamily development. So I'm going to be doing that, or I'm going to buy an old hotel and I'm going to convert the hotel to co living and rent it out long term leases based on this. And just I want to do something that's a block of rooms, like a hundred rooms, at a time. It would almost double what I had in one fell swoop. So either building something from the ground up, or buying it and converting it, or buying a multifamily and converting it to this. And the reason that for me is just I can have more in a smaller space. (laughs) That's the plan. Yeah,
1: I love that you're doing this because people are desperate for some kind of solution to all of this that's going on with multifamily. It's ridiculous. And I have a lot of multifamily guys that come on the show, obviously. And I ask them, because how do you buy the deals? How do you evaluate the deals? They look at the deal and they say, okay, cool, we can raise rent by this month. We can fix it up, turn it, uh, get the old tenants out and then raise rent by this much. And I ask, even like Jake and Gino, like I asked Gino, I was like, at what point do we hit the tipping point here? And we say, hey, man, I don't think we can raise rents much more in this demographic. So it's what did he say? What did
0: he say to that? What was his answer?
1: Yeah, he said right now, you have to really look at the demographics. And he said, we're slowing down with that right now. And we're not relying as heavily on banking on increased rent growth because the sweep in the nation as well is there are obviously different states and you and I are in states that are a little bit more landlord friendly, but there are states that are saying, hey, you cannot increase past this point. And, and there are times where I'm like, hey, I agree. We don't want to have people paying way more than they need to and bankrupting people. We don't want to do that as landlords right. either. So exactly. I really like what you're doing, and I see it. God, I forgot what that guy's name, Preston Rutherford. He's doing that with the
0: ADUs over in California. Yes, yes, that's awesome. Yeah, you yeah. get to be. I call it being a social entrepreneur. Like being a social entrepreneur is you get to do good. You get to good while you're making money. And as investors, that's the game, right? I lived in co-living houses for about 12 years. Like I lived in my co-living houses. This is something that I'm intimately familiar with. I lived it. I breathed it. I did it. And I saved a tremendous amount of money. I've never done the math to add up like how much I would have spent if I had rented a one bedroom apartment over that period of time, but it would have been tens and tens and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for that chunk of my life that I would have just, would have just disappeared into nothing. But instead I was able to save that. And then by real estate, it's a good thing. If you're, I don't know who exactly listens to your podcast, what your audience is, but if you're a young, if you have kids and you get, if you got a wife and kids and all that, like this probably isn't the model for you, but if if you're single and you're hustling and you're making like, this is a great way to live for a few years to save cash. And then we're also seeing a lot of seniors, like a senior start coming back. Maybe they're divorced. Maybe they're just they're on a set income. They're coming back and saying, "You know what? I don't mind living with some people. I'll live in this room." And like, it's gaining popularity in the senior population too. I
1: love it, man. This is yeah, it's so cool. And especially as we're traveling right now, it's like the like that idea is even awesome right now. I'd be like, "Holy crap!" In Europe, I would love to do that, but the hostels right. are like just rooms with like bunk beds, and I'm like, "Ah, right. I don't know if I want to do that. I'm not that hardcore yeah. yet, but I'm sure yeah. I will be." Talk to me again in three months when the base count. Lo- looking houses. different.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Let's go buy some houses, man. I love it. Exactly, man. You're an inspiration. I actually didn't know you were house hacking type stuff. I didn't know you were house hacking stuff too, but you're just taking split level homes. And I I do a lot of split level homes because they fit this model really well. So you're doing top and then bottom, even renting it as just two units, like taking a house and being like two units, you're doing some of that.
1: Yeah, so you get the benefit of both, right? So I'm not making it too much of a Frankenstein's monster. So I'm keeping keeping the benefit of a long term tenant upstairs, and I'm renting them for the market rent that would be for a three bed two bath. So there's that rent right there, and then on the bottom, yeah, then I'll start renting out by the room or I'll rent by the units, just depending on what I feel like dealing with personally. So right right now, it's I've got a guy that I went to college with that when I bought my first house in 2019 and I moved in, he moved in with me downstairs and he took the other unit and he's still been down there. He he hasn't left. He's paying me like 600 to 700 bucks a month and and he's making good money. So I can't even tell you how much money he saved living down there. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) And it works for me. And I did have two guys living down there. And then one guy moved out because he was getting a house of his own. And then it got to a point where the other guy was like, Hey, look, like, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I'll pay you a little bit more, but I'm not going to cover what me and him were both doing. Cause they were both paying 650, So it was 1300 for the downstairs. And he was like, <coughs> look, I'll pay you like 1100 bucks, 1200 bucks, like 1100. If I could just have the whole downstairs. And so I'll manage the property. I'll look over everything. You're not going to have to deal with anybody moving in over here because he if you move somebody in there that i didn't know i'd probably move out i was like you know what okay cool i'll buy you. because right. sometimes in real estate like peace of mind is better than profit you know right. so i'm like okay that's go right. ahead go for it and now i've got a new unit that's vacant that i'm trying to fill so i'm gonna have to post about that so we were getting settled down while we traveled over here i literally came here hopped off of a ferry hopped into this island got a phone looked at my phone had thirty missed calls. The car <laughs> that I left, my car, my personal vehicle that I left for Turo with my friend, I forgot to update the registration. I freaking guy, it. yeah. So I freaking no works. So a guy was driving it, got pulled over, car got towed and impounded. <laughs> so I get off this ferry for four hours. <laughs> I find Sorry. out that my car got impounded. <laughs> I find out that the guy that was supposed to move into my old unit. In my house hack, he's not moving in. He decided he didn't want to, so I'm like, okay, cool. So with a couple of text messages, I'm out like twenty two hundred dollars net here, cash. <laughs> oh,
0: I'm
1: like, okay, but here's the cool thing, right? Like, I'm like, okay, cool. Now I'm having to delegate everything and build that yeah. muscle because right. I physically cannot be there anymore. So I'm like, right. okay, cool. This is a cool muscle to build because I'm like, okay, hey, if you can help with this, I'll pay you this. If you can help with this, I'll, I'll pay you this. And then everyone's like, okay. Right. I'm like, oh, cool. It got right. fixed. Yeah. yeah so,
0: man. How fun. cool is it that you're managing that from so far away? Living your dreams, man.
1: Dude. Yeah. And I'm not going to, And I'm going to post every single thing that goes wrong too, so that people can see like, uh, it's a lot of work, just like the van life. Right. Yeah. It's like, sometimes it's not always sunshine and roses, but what it is at the end of the day is worth it because you're, yeah. you're pushing, you're, you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And like, that's where growth comes because I could have easily just stayed over there and been very comfortable, but now I'm forcing myself into this new environment and I'm like, okay, time differences. I'm doing podcasts at 11 o'clock midnight. I'm like time differences, diet differences, language differences, but it's worth it.
0: (laughs) It's awesome. I love that, man. I want to do that too more. Sometimes I can talk about the benefits of co-living and I, I forget some of the struggles I initially went through even on the even early on. So that's a valid point. I appreciate you sharing that.
1: <laughs> I appreciate it, buddy. But, anyways, man, where can people find you so that they can learn more about what you're doing in co living?
0: Man, I think co living, a lot of people find me on the bigger pockets podcast. I was invited by Brandon Turner to speak about co living on bigger pockets. So, I think jumping over to that and listening to that interview with David Green that I did would be really great if people want to find out more about co living, or they can just find me at scaleyourrealestate.com or just my name, Sam Weir, on all, all social media platforms.
1: There you go. All right, brother. I appreciate you coming on, man. This has been as awesome I, as I anticipated. I did not know that you took over the freaking Karate Studio at 15, but uh, <laughs> dude, you're killing it. Thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for being you, man. Proud to have you as thanks. a
0: friend. Proud to have you as a friend. And thanks for you for being you.
1: I appreciate this, this it, was
0: buddy. This was fun. This yes, is,
1: This has been Brian and Sam with the Action Academy Podcast signing off.